invite you to turn with me to the New Testament letter of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. Uh, we're jumping back in. Uh, we've been away through the holidays. We've been away for a bit of time, so now we are getting back to our study of Philippians. We're going to take a quick big picture, uh, kind of set the context. We're going to be in chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 this morning is, is where we're headed, but it'll take a minute to get there. So uh, before we before we jump in, let's pray. Father, this is your word breathed out by you for our good, for our instruction, that we would know you. You reveal yourself to us through your word. So, Lord, we want to handle your word well, so we ask for your help, the help of the Holy Spirit to to keep us on track, to open our hearts and our minds to see what you intend to communicate to us today through your word. Be at work in us by your spirit. Open open our ears to hear. Open our minds to, to receive. Open our, our hearts to understand and to, to respond. To walk with you today. Be at work for your own glory. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians. Philippians is a letter of joy. The Apostle Paul writes... From prison, but he wants this church in Philippi, this church that cares so much about their apostle, he wants them to know that he's not languishing away in despair, but he is overflowing with joy and with thanksgiving. He is actually leveraging his adverse circumstances for the advance of the gospel, ultimately for the glory of Christ and the transforming power of the gospel that is at work brings him joy as he sees the gospel penetrating people's lives. So he invites the church to join him in rejoicing. Paul is grateful to God for the Philippians, but that does not mean that there's no room for progress and growth in them. They have room for progress in the faith. Here's here's a rough outline sketching his flow of thought in this section. Chapter 127 through chapter 2 verse 4, exhortation to gospel unity. Chapter 2 verses 5 through 11, motivation of Jesus' humility that ultimately brings glory to the Father. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, another exhortation to work out that gospel unity. And then verses 17 and 18, a motivation of apostolic joy in sacrificial service. Today we're looking at verses 12 and 13, the second exhortation to work out your gospel unity. But before we examine it, I just want to zoom out, catch Paul's flow of thought. First, his exhortation to gospel unity at the end of chapter 1, uh, Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear 
of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He he exhorts them, live worthy of the gospel. Not in the sense that they could ever earn or deserve the gospel. The gospel is good news of God's grace. By definition, a gift we could never earn, we do not deserve. This word translated worthy literally means of similar weight or value. Live as citizens, that's what the word means, in a way that is appropriate to or suitable, fitting as citizens of this, who have been made part of this new community by God's amazing grace. Let your manner of life be consistent with the gospel. What specifically does living worthy or consistent with the gospel look like? It looks like, well, he says it, standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The gospel, the good news is that God in the person of Jesus Christ came to earth on a rescue mission to suffer and die in the place of sinners who deserve only God's wrath so that we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, enjoy restored relationship with God forever. That's good news. Amen? This good news creates a new community. A community of blood-bought believers in Jesus. Made one by the Holy Spirit who lives inside each one of us. We enjoy fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Made one with each other in this thing called the body of Christ. The church. To live consistent with the gospel demands unity with other believers in Jesus. So we we plant our feet firmly on our gospel unity. Side by side we contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This good news message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He continues the exhortation into chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than your, yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Because of the gospel, be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord of one mind. Gospel unity. Gospel unity creates commonalities in what we believe, in who we are following in how we love, what is our driving passion. We keep the one thing, the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ central. He is what unifies us. And the gospel changes us. No longer do we selfishly pursue our own stuff. We're no longer worthlessly puffed up. 
We no longer focus only on what benefits only us, only me. The gospel changes me. We grow into humility, a sober self-assessment, a clear view of our own faults, our flaws, a deep appreciation of God's amazing grace. Out of that humility, we begin to count others more significant than ourselves. We begin to look out for the interests of others. The good news gives us a heart for gospel unity. This good news that changes us is rooted in, is the message of Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This passage takes us from Christmas straight into Good Friday. The gospel creates humility in us because we are following a Jesus who emptied himself, who God became human, stooped down to serve, humbled himself even to death, even death on a cross, death for the good of others, death for my eternal benefit. Therefore, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. The good news about Jesus unites believers under the same Lord. The one name above every name, the one who is exalted by His Father, the one to whom we together gladly bow in worship. Therefore, verse 12, based on who Jesus is, The model He gave us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Therefore, because Jesus is the one Lord to whom we gladly submit, because Jesus gave us the ultimate model of self-humbling, sacrificial service for the good of others, therefore live this way in gospel-shaped unity. Paul addresses us tenderly, my beloved, once ruthless persecutor of the church, now willing to lay down his own life for the good of the body, his dearly loved brothers and sisters. He says, as you have always obeyed. We might tend to misunderstand and see this as obedience. Okay, grudgingly towing the line, keeping our head down, doing what we are told, following the rules. If that's what he means, then he can't say that they have always obeyed. 
He is actually exhorting them to stop living selfishly, to stop looking out only for number one, to stop being puffed up with conceit, pride, start living humble, other-centered life for the glory of Christ. He's saying, just as you have always obeyed, if he's talking about obediently towing the line and doing the things and checking the boxes... That doesn't work. He can't mean that. Obedience must mean something different than simply following the rules. And we see this all over the New Testament. Starting in in Jesus, in John 3, uh, Jesus puts believing in the Son for eternal life in parallel by contrast, by way of contrast to those who do not obey the Son. So believing the Son is the same as obeying the Son. Disobeying Jesus is the same as disbelieving the Gospel. Those are parallel concepts that Jesus lays out for us. Those who do not obey the Son, who reject the Gospel, remain under God's wrath. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Obeying the Son is another way of saying believing in the Son. Throughout the New Testament we read of obeying Jesus. Acts 5.32, Hebrews 5.9, 1 Peter 1.2, obey Jesus. Uh, obey the truth, Romans 2.8, Galatians 5.7, 1 Peter 1.22, obey the gospel. I thought we believed the gospel, yes. Another way of saying that is obedience to the gospel. Romans 10, 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 1 Peter 4, 17. Obey the word. 1 Peter 2, 8, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1. 2 Thessalonians pictures the scene when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus. In biblical language, obeying Jesus, obeying the truth, obeying the gospel, obeying the word, that's another way of saying believing in Jesus, believing the good news about Jesus, submitting to Jesus as Lord, surrendering to Jesus. Obey the gospel. Submit to Jesus, His word, the good news about Him. Paul was uniquely gifted in Romans 1 and commissioned to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of His name. This obedience that consists in faith, believing in Jesus, entrusting oneself to Jesus. So Paul, by saying, as you have always obeyed, is once more highlighting the gospel. Their unity in believing the good news message about Jesus and Him crucified. Since they heard the word and received it, they held fast to it. So He can say, as you have always obeyed. You heard the word. You received the word. You submitted to the authority and supremacy of Jesus. You bowed the knee. You're holding fast to the gospel. You've always obeyed. That also means they, that we are striving to live consistent with the gospel. He says, live consistent, live worthy of, live consistent with the gospel. 
And Paul here is identifying for them and in them some areas in which they are out of step with the gospel. He is exhorting them, bring these areas into line with the gospel. Live consistent with the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul highlights his own absence as no excuse to get lazy about following Jesus. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, you, what you, or who you truly are is who you are when no one's watching. Anyone can perform well in a job interview, but what only God sees is what really Matters, And it's only God's opinion of us that matters anyway. So many of us work so hard at impressing each other, putting on a show, I want you to think well of me. When God sees our hearts, and it is only before Him that we all ultimately will give account, the Apostle is not present, but Jesus is omnipresent. Don't let who's watching affect how you follow Jesus. Paul says, not only in my presence, even much more when I'm not there. He gives one more modifying phrase, with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is how weak and frail humanity responds to the presence of Almighty God. Psalm 2 warns kings and rulers how to respond in the presence of the all-sovereign, only-begotten Son. Son of God. Psalm 2 verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Serve Yahweh with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Note the last line, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Serve with fear, rejoice with trembling, but happy are all who run not away from Him, Because they are afraid, but run into His loving open arms, seeking refuge in Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Recognize Him for who He is. That should cause fear and trembling. When we understand we as sinners... Him as a holy, righteous, wrathful God who hates sin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isaiah says in Isaiah 66, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Fear and trembling is the appropriate way for a sinner to respond to a holy God. Paul and Silas, after they were wrongfully beaten, put in stocks in the inner prison in Philippi, where they were praying and singing hymns to God. A great earthquake opened the doors, loosed everyone's bonds. The jailer, assuming assuming all the prisoners had escaped, was about to kill himself. Acts 16, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This kind of fearful trembling caused him not to run away from God, but to run toward God seeking salvation. You see that? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. Here he comes finally to the imperative, the main command of his exhortation. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean? To work out is a compound word that means to work fully, to work out, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to completion. He does not say work for your own salvation. That would be contrary to everything the Bible teaches. That salvation is a gift by grace, not by works. Freely given to sinners who deserve only His wrath. He does not say work for your salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. The work is done. If he were saying, work to secure your own salvation, make sure you are personally safe from the coming wrath of God, that's better. But this would fly in the face of the entire spirit of this whole passage. Paul uses the reflexive pronoun, your own, several times in this passage to encourage us not to look to your own interests. Count others more significant than yourself. In verse 21, he condemns those who all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Verses 7 and 8, he holds up Jesus who emptied himself and humbled himself. But if by saying, Work out your own salvation. He means for us to work out our salvation. To work it out to its proper end or goal. This fits the whole push of the passage toward unity, toward humility. As members of the body of Christ, seeking to follow Christ Jesus our Lord, our salvation will work itself out in self-humbling. Self-emptying, counting others above ourselves so that we have care and concern for the needs of others. Our salvation will work out toward a Christ-like humility that pursues the unity of the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Paul makes this clear using a different compound with the same root twice in the next verse. Work out... Kat ergadzeste, your own salvation, for it is God who works in en ergon, en you, both to will and to work en ergain for his good pleasure. Work out that which God has first worked in you. God is in the emphatic position in this verse. God is the one who is working in you. God's working is what is the underlying cause, not only of our working, but also of our willing. 
We work out because we choose to work out. We purpose in ourselves to work out. But that very willing, that very choosing to work is worked in us by God. We exercise our salvation because He energizes both our desires and our energy. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Good pleasure most often points to God's free and sovereign delight in doing whatever He wills. Why did you do it? Well, I was under pressure. I felt compelled to do it. Or I looked toward the end and so I toughed it out and pushed through. I got it done. Or, well, I had competing desires in my heart and I gave in to a lesser desire. Not so God. God is God. He does all that He pleases. Jesus uses this word in Matthew 11.26, Luke 10.21 to speak of the Father's gracious will. In Ephesians 1, God's predestining us for adoption as sons is according to the good pleasure or purpose of His will. He made known the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure or good purpose. Our working out our salvation toward a self-humbling, Christ-centered, others-serving gospel unity is powered by God's working in us. And this brings great pleasure to the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, as as followers of Jesus, we seek nothing more than to bring glory and honor and praise to Your magnificent name. We want You to get the praise, the worship, the attention that only You deserve. We want to have a right and accurate understanding of who we are are as sinners saved by Your amazing grace. We want to live consistent with the Gospel. We believe in You, Jesus. We believe that You died for our sins on the cross so that we could be with You forever, and that means with one another forever, all those who are believing in Jesus. We have been filled and immersed into the Holy Spirit who unites us as believers. So help us to work out that good news we believe, that salvation that we have been given Help us to work it out in our daily lives as as we walk consistent with what we say we believe. Help us to live it. Lord, we need your, Your Holy Spirit power, Your energizing work in us, both to want to. Lord, give us the desire 
Because to be honest, sometimes it's just not there. We don't have it. I don't want to give us both the, the will, the want to, and fill us with your spirit. Give us the, the energy, the energizing power of the spirit inside of us to, to do the thing you've given us to want to do, to will to do, to walk Walk with the body in unity to walk consistent with the good news that we treasure so greatly. Thank you, Jesus, for humbling yourself, becoming human, so that as one of us you could die in our place, bear in your body my sin on the cross. So that I could be free to live in your presence. To love others. The way you so graciously have loved. Each one of us. Work this in us we ask. For your glory we ask it in the mighty name Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite some of our men to, to come and prepare to serve communion. This is, this is the family meal. This is believers in Jesus gathering together, celebrating the gospel. Because this, what we have here, bread and juice, it's, it's pointers to the good news. It's pointers to the gospel that Jesus, God from all eternity, became real human flesh and blood so that as a real, physical, tangible, touchable human continuing to be who He always was, fully God, now united with, with perfect humanity, that perfect sinless flesh could be nailed to a cross. That perfect blood could gush out, be poured out in death as perfect sacrifice for my sins. The blood that washes me clean makes me new in God's presence so I could enjoy relationship. Relationship with Him and restored relationship with one another. Not relationship where I use you to get ahead, but no, to say, I consider you more important than myself. How can I come under and alongside and with you to serve you, to encourage you, to follow Jesus? To be who you were created to be. To grow in your relationship with God. This is how He created us. And we celebrate this kind of unity. As we mutually love and submit. And encourage one another. As you receive. If you're a believer in Jesus. As you serve bread and juice. Hold those in your hands. And reflect on the body. The unity that we have. The body of Jesus that was given for you. And the body of Jesus that we become when we believe in Him. As we are united to Him through faith. And we become members. Fingers, toes, hands, nose of Jesus. Walking out and living out Jesus in our community, in our world. Reflect on who you are and whose you are. Once we've all been served, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll receive and celebrate together as the body. Jesus, thank you for your body broken, your blood 
poured out on the cross to purchase to purchase your prized possession blood bought saints once sinners now washed clean enjoying fellowship relationship with you and relationship with one another in your body your community created at the cross what a treasure we've been given help us to treasure together the gospel and to live lives consistent with us give us help by your Holy Spirit because we desperately need it thank you Jesus his body broken for you take eat blood poured out to wash us clean make us new drink 